Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast of The Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Coming up, superstar chef Jamie Oliver chatting his latest cookbook as well as his brand new Channel 4 show, Keep Cooking Family Favourites. The simply wonderful Sue Perkins tells us about her eye-opening new BBC One show along the US-Mexico border. Billy Piper and Lucy Preble discuss the hottest telly show on the box at the moment, the brand new Sky original I Hate Susie, which ironically everybody loves. And comedian James Acaster delves into his new memoir, Perfect Sound Whatever. That's what it's called. Perfect Sound Whatever. All of that and loads more still to come. Now, Dapper Dave, tell us who's our first guest. Everyone's got a favourite album or a favourite band, but what about a favourite year of music? Well, according to our next guest, 2016 will take some beating. His new book, Perfect Sound Whatever, is out now. Now and here to explain the personal low that brought about a musical high, it's the comedic master. It's James Acaster. Morning, James. Good morning. Good morning, James. Now, I've said on the radio several times this morning that you, in my opinion, and who cares about my opinion, but it's mine, um, you are the funniest person on the planet at the moment. Now, the thing, the disadvantage for you about a description like that is that this is an interview about your book and you might not be that funny. People think, what the heck is Evans talking about? So I can only apologise for my hyperbole earlier on. How do we overcome the, that particular bump in our, our, our collegiate road right now? Well, look, first of all, I appreciate the compliment. Uh, secondly, anyone listening who now expects the full lo- lols and whatever, uh, too early. It's too early. There's no. I, I don't make anyone laugh before. I think normally half eight in the evening. So they're, they're not going to get any laughs. Well, you were no qu- laughs whatsoever. You were quite funny on Sunday brunch, and the last time I looked, that's on a Sunday morning, and it's live. That's true. Actually, they tricked me into being funny. I didn't intentionally want to be funny on that show, but they—they—they. They, they, it's very hard, hard not to be funny on Sunday brunch when it's hosted by uh, two guys who are absolutely lovely fellas, but um, I think deliberately can't do their job, and so therefore, it, as a comedian, it's hard to keep your mouth shut and not make fun of the absolute shambles that's crumbling all around you. But that's their act. That's t- always been Tim's act. And now it's Simon's because he's with Tim. It's the deconstruction of television. Or at least that's their excuse. It's like, you know, in the 80s, I used to go and watch a lot of uh, quote-unquote surreal uh, alternative comedy. What You mean it's not funny? Sure. Sure. Sometimes we can deliberately not be funny. And uh, people think we're geniuses. And actually, we were just in a bad mood that day. and didn't feel like making anyone laugh. See, I... Sorry, Cam. People do the work for you. They'll, 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 they'll fill in the blanks and, and say how much, you know, how he's deconstructing the form. It's amazing. It's like, no, I'm not very funny, actually. <laughs> and you've, you, you know, I, you are incredibly funny. I know this is not a conversation that's, that sits comfortably with you, but you've also bombed. And, I, you know, mm. I, I know that everybody has to learn their craft, but you bombed, you know, you bombed within the last decade. And, I, you know, I watch you now and I listen to you now. You know, I read your books and things like that. And um, I'm thinking, you know, you can't have not been funny in the last five years but that is that has been the case hasn't it oh i i constantly last year i did a massive tour and during that tour i had gigs where i was like this is going awfully and they've all paid to see me they knew who i was my name was on the ticket what is going on um but you know do you know what i try and push myself with every show 
So sometimes it doesn't work. You take the risk, Chris. You take the risk, and sometimes it doesn't pay off. It's funny because, you know, you talk about maybe, uh, you know, not nailing it at a gig or bombing, you know, even as recently as, you know, a couple of years ago. But if I went to see you in one of your gigs, I wouldn't mind if you weren't funny because I'm just so fascinated about being in your company because lots of people are doing talking tours now and you just want to be with them because you, you love what they do and you just want to be in the presence, the, the live presence, um, you know, the near geography of that person who you are fascinated by. And I think you have, I wouldn't call it a madness in your eyes because I wouldn't want to say that, but you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, you have something going on in your eyes. It reminds me of Gene Wilder. It reminds me of Andy Kaufman. It reminds me of John Belushi. And I am fascinated by you. That's very kind. I, I obsessively watched, when, when I was a kid, one of the films I watched the most was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, and, and it was all I used to watch, and I was obsessed with him and his performance in it and didn't know what else he did outside of that uh, Gene Wilder. Um, so that is a huge compliment, um, to be, especially his eyes. His eyes throughout that film, I know what you mean, like, especially when they're in the tunnel and stuff and he's singing that creepy song. Um, his eyes convey a lot of different, a lot of stuff, way more than um, most actors uh, can convey with their eyes. So the book, uh, the book. Okay, so the book is basically it's part memoir, it's lots of albums, and I know there's sort of the, this the the sell-on wrote uh, that you've been touring is simply that 1999 was the best life of your best year of your life so far, and 2017 was probably the worst. In mm-hmm. a, in a nutshell, how do we get people to to buy a book based on that? Well, uh, it's about 2016 being the greatest year for music of all time. So during 2017, while I was having a bad year, I obsessively bought music from 2016 because I'd recently like got back into current music. I'd ignored it for years and years, like ever since, well, probably over a decade, just hadn't stayed in touch with current music. I'd only been listening to old stuff. At the tail end of 2016, I started to listen to current music again. Thought it was amazing. Frank Ocean's Blonde, Lemonade by Beyonce, Black Star by David Bowie. And then when I uh, had a bad year in 2017, I just kept doing the most recent thing that brought me joy, which was buying music that came out in 2016. I did it so regularly that now I own over 600 albums that came out that year. And when you've done that, you really have to write a book about it and get it out of your system. When you're that passionate about something, um, you really want to sit down and write about these albums in detail. But if you're going to write about those albums in detail, you've got to give people context. And that means you've got to tell them about this bad year that you had and try and make some sense with it and how it kind of, a lot of the time I'd find that my life in 2017 mirrored a lot of the lives of the people who made the albums. That was just a coincidence I didn't expect. I did a lot of interviews for the book, interviewed a lot of musicians, and you would find that a lot of the albums that I really got into came from, a, a similar, uh, came from similar places to where I was in 2017 as well. Okay, and it doesn't take a clinical psychologist to suggest that if you buy 600 albums from uh, 2016, uh, you might be a bit obsessive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And uh, you can't deny it. But at that point, you're like, you know what? A lot of people, when they have, you know, whatever you want to call it, a breakdown, a meltdown, whatnot, they might suddenly throw themselves into much more dangerous things. And if I I think that I'm going to get obsessed with and spend a lot of money on and get addicted to is albums from 2016, then I think I got off lightly. (laughs) Okay, and it's a limited supply, so it's not like other other drugs where it just keeps on coming. You know, the dealers run out and they go, "That's it, pal. Shut up, shop off you go." I'm just going to buy a villa in Portugal. Uh, yeah, exactly. All right, uh, cheers, James.
Thank you, everybody. You're very welcome. Goodbye. Uh, James Acaster, Perfect Sound, whatever. The Sunday Times bestseller is out now. And if you don't know of James Acaster, and lots of people still don't, just go and look at some stuff that he's done because he is he is as funny as funny gets. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. If you're guilty of looking at a full fridge saying, we've got nothing to eat, then ordering a takeaway, listen closely as our next guest has news for you. His new book, Jamie's Seven Ways, is out now and here to sprinkle some magic culinary dust on our everyday ingredients is a man that's both lovely and jubbly. It's Jamie Oliver. Morning, Jamie. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Come in, Jamie Oliver. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, pretty good too. Pretty good too. So, 25th cookery book, 25 books and counting. Did you ever think this? you would see this day, Jamie Oliver? Oh, mate, no. I, not at all. I think the first time we met was on TFI Friday mm-hmm. all those years ago. Yep. Um, but yes, I can't believe it. One a year. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked myself, to be honest. <laughs> Did you celebrate your 25th? I mean, you, you'd be allowed to. You'd be forgiven for doing so. Uh, I haven't yet, but I feel like I should. I, th- I feel like you've just given me permission to throw a party, but uh, obviously with COVID regulations, there'd only be a small group of people. One has to be COVID compliant, I think is the phrase. You've got to be COVID compliant. Yes. Uh, Jamie, so uh, once again, there's a show, a TV show to go with this. Um, do, do the books always go hand in hand with the TV shows? I, sorry, I can't keep count, to be honest. Uh, no, not, not, I mean, not always. I mean, I think... Probably 20 of those books has been with the 20 years of TV that I've done. But sometimes I slip a little extra one in there. Uh, I think Christmas was one of my other little books that I slipped in there uh, in one of the years. But um, I think it's always nice to communicate, not just in the written word, but also showing people on TV as well. Uh, and it seems to work, so I keep doing it. Yeah, good for you, mate. Uh, Jamie Seven Ways, um, easy ideas for every day of the week, out now, and keep cooking family favourites, Mondays at 8.30pm on Channel 4. Now, tell us about, if you don't mind, because we haven't talked uh, to each other uh, since this happened, uh, keep cooking and carry on, which you did under lockdown. Tell us tell us about that, tell us about the first one, tell us about the nerves of trepidation, the things you discovered, yeah. the things you achieved, uh, the things you realised as a family uh, and uh, as a bloke. Well, look, I mean, f- first of all, you knowing production as it is, just the day before lockdown, the programme I was doing got completely well, got pulled. So for myself and the crew, freelancers that you know had a couple of months' work, it, that went. Uh, then we went into lockdown, and of course there's all the worry of lockdown that we all had. And I kind of went into overdrive, actually. I kind of spent a weekend filming a whole week's content with all the things that I knew the public were worried about. You know, the swap-ins, what they did have, what they didn't have, what they were worried about. So I did that and it kind of worked. And then I carried on doing it on my phone. Um, And my wife became my close-up camera lady. Um, And it wasn't easy. Um, Often the kids were screaming or arguing in the background. But genuinely, like you, I I could only get the the 80 items in the in the shopping basket i seem to always be running out of everything and i think that kind of authenticity the public were going through as well so that that show i think was appropriate i did that for a month and then this latest show coming out i kind of wanted it to be different emotionally i wanted it to be calm i wanted it to be about the things i'd learned in lockdown which is appreciating family nature um and and actually a lot of the dishes in the series are really really affordable which i think is really important for the next year that faces the country so um last week i did a beautiful cauliflower cheese pasta with garlicky breadcrumbs it was 44 pence a portion you know and i think people start realizing that good things don't always have to cost them loads of money and i think you know um 
keeping cooking skills alive, I think is, you know, we saw a lot more people cooking in lockdown. Right, so 18 ingredients, um, broccoli, cauliflower, avocado, chicken breast, sausages, salmon fillet, sweet potato, aubergine, eggs, mince, potato, peppers, prawns, white fish fillet, whole chicken, mushroom, steak and pork. Um, now, uh, our Hellsbells, who loves a cookbook... I do. Uh, she has embarked upon um, a bit of... Um, she says here... Um, uh, quick stuffed potato nan bread, but of course you committed the cardinal sin of saying nan bread. Nan. Yeah, <laughs> that's bread bread, isn't it? <laughs> so why did you pick this one, Hells? Um, because I, so when I get a cookbook, I don't just read the recipes, I read the entire book Ooh, cover to cover because yes. I'm interested in food. I'm yes. not just interested in how to cook it. Uh-huh. And I just thought, I kind of came across this recipe and I thought for the brekkie show, it's something quick. It's something that you can... Full of flavour. Uh-huh. Seven, I think there's seven ingredients in that. Yep. And it's just a flavour explosion in your mouth. What about that, Jamie? Go what on, about that? It's amazing. <laughs> she, she's like my, she's like my perfect customer. I know. Um, and she reads all the book cover to cover as well. And the question is, did you cook it at home or were you able to bring it in sort of made but not cooked and finish it off in the workplace? So I had to cook it at home because it's fried. I wasn't sure if the kitchen downstairs would um, be able to do the frying for us. But it was fine. I actually went home for the bank holiday. So I cooked it at home home in our lovely little kitchen at home. And then it was all ready to bring in and just warm up in the oven this morning. Go on, yes. The, the, um, what was this? What is this? Oh, that's um, greaseproof paper. Greaseproof paper, okay. Um, And it's slightly... Don't, don't eat that, Chris. Don't eat that. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what, it smells so good, you, you might be tempted. <laughs> and it's got that little bur- sort of burnt effect. You know, remember at school when you used to you used to sort of um, recreate those those ye olde treasure maps, those scrolls, and you used to take them home and put them in the oven. It's got a bit yes. of that charred corner thing going yeah. on. It's fantastic. Okay, um, do we have... Do we have... I wish Jamie was here to taste this. <laughs> oh, God, it looks so good. Um, I'm afraid we don't have any of the mango chutney, but... That's oh. not that's not important, right? That's that's fine. It's quite important. It's, the, it's, it's quite the important. Main. But, okay, I'm gonna have a taste, Shane. <laughs> Go on, mate. Oh, you would not be disappointed. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, she, did she done? She done a good job, mate. You'd be proud of her. Um, how much? Go on, Hell's Bells. How on. how often do you test your recipes, Jamie? Uh, we'll t- well, I'll I'll do the cook ups and write everything myself. Oh. Then I'll give that to my testing team. Four people will test it here, and then we send it out normally to two strangers. Do so you? we do have, yeah, we have strangers that I've never met that are in a network of people around the country that will test the recipes before we ever sign them off. So, where did you get yeah. where did you get these sort of secret secret testers from? On online from our social communities, and you get to know them over time, and they're very very useful. And we obviously pay for all the ingredients, but also they kind of get to help me sculpt. The books and 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 we do listen because everyone has to fill out a form and I read every single one. And then I do the master edit. So what say what seems quite simple um, is has complexity, but I think having tested recipes yeah. um, is really really important. All uh, right, good, Jamie. Oliver, seven ways easy ideas for every day of the week. Uh, Jamie, thanks so much for being here. Please come and talk to us again soon. Goodbye. You're welcome. Goodbye, Jamie Goodbye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio.
It's defined very simply as a line separating two countries, but as our next guest has found out, it's far more complicated than that. Her new two-part series along the US-Mexico border starts next Monday on BBC One, so please welcome a lady trying to find some order along the border. It's the practically perfect (laughs) Sue Perkins! Morning, Sue! Good morning! Order, order, along the border! Order! That's what the border needs, a lot of order. Well, listen, uh, we, we, we are loving the 15 tequila shot shot. Um, which is amazing. So you start in an off-license that just serves tequila. Well, we started in the most, I think it's the most dangerous place on earth, in the middle of the night. And the first thing they did was got me drunk. So I was sort of careening around the streets of Tijuana after about, yes, I mean, it was something, it was between 15 and 20 shots of tequila, and I had no idea where I was by the end of it. Um, And we had tequila out of every shaped bottle you could imagine, and the guy was very friendly, very keen to give some free, uh, free samples. And uh, the next, the interview's the next day. I'm somewhat groggy. You can just see well, the pain behind the eyes. You can, you can actually, see, you can see, you can see the effect it's taking during the <laughs> the, the, the tasting. To be honest, because yeah. you can't fake. Well, some people can, some genius actors can, but <laughs> it's so funny because you know those. Yeah, I know you act, but those of us who don't act at least not professionally anyway, you know, if we were trying to, to act drunk, we'd just ham it up. We'd overdo it, you know, by at least 100 times. But you just quietly are getting very, very, very legless on the, on the telly. Well, it's, it's the fact that he keeps offering and it's, you know, yes. I just feel, well, this will be culturally intensive to say no. Yes, of course it will. I mean, a, a good, I'd say a good quarter of, to, to a third of a bottle of tequila. Yeah. I mean, that's it's not what the show's, it's not what the show's about, but it certainly oils the wheels, doesn't it? <laughs> You know, um, and you know, four years ago, it was all about the the, the Mexican. The, you know, we'll build a wall, the Mexican border. Um, yeah. And this is a very sort of uh, prescient time to have a, a a reinvestigation of that particular part of the world, east to west. Um, very funny, but also very moving, very very touching, wasn't it? You you discover it's it's. Trying to get the balance is always hard with these things. You want to let the locals speak and their stories are often funny and quirky and strange and you get let into their houses and have a whale of a time. But also, as you say, it's this incredibly contested border, incredibly uh, uh, well patrolled um, and um, the focus of a lot of migratory activity. So you also want to be sensitive to those very, very sad stories about people trying to get a better life for their kids. And it feels very prescient at the moment with everything that's going on around the world. And we sort of talk about migration through the prism of, of probably the most famous border on the globe so yeah it was it was it was heartwarming and and very distressing at the same time and and hopefully we got that that balance right and just just moving constantly between america and mexico so you know and the ease with which someone like like me can cross is extraordinary and yet you see these migrant camps at the wall and they will never be able to to get through and never be united with some of the members of their family so yeah it was i learned an awful lot and um with the whole thing that's going on with steve bannon at the moment as well it was it was very interesting to see the vigilante groups that are getting involved at first hand so i sort of feel that we we went behind genuinely went behind the headlines as well as drinking a lot of tequila <laughs> but it is it is the side press point of two cultures isn't it you know and we say two cultures you know whether it's you know uh, the united states and or versus um, mexico but because united the united states is so multicultural anyway you know yeah. what, what do you what do you find is is end, ends up being distilled on either side of that particular border 
Well, you're you're absolutely right. It's it's um, it's an artificial in many ways. It's one landmass, and it's been carved up by sort of war and territorial land grabs and all the rest of it. But you've you've now got this sort of red line that someone's drawn that's now being policed. But um, the cultures are very very the, are the same pretty much. I mean, if you if, if you know be, be, between a lot of these between Juarez and El, El Paso or whatever, it's very very similar. The food's the same. As you say, it's a melting pot. Most people speak both Spanish and English. Families kind of um, live either side. So the differences that we perceive between the states and Mexico don't really exist for an awful lot of people. But if you're, you know, part of a human caravan coming up from Venezuela or um, Honduras, then of course it's completely non-porous that 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 part of the world, and you can't get through. So for some people they've got easy access, and and for others it's a no no go area, and that's sort of what we explore a bit. But we also, you know, I meet a lot of people who don't share my views, and I spend a lot of time on ranches with big fellas who are branding cattle and sort of chewing tobacco, and and actually it's good to get that side of it as as well, and talk about the cartels and. So hopefully it's a very balanced picture and wherever you're coming from sort of ideologically, then I, I hope we've, we've got some of your point of view in there. So. Well, it's a must-watch show. Uh, Monday the 7th of September, that's this uh, coming Monday, 9pm BBC One. It's two. It's a two-parter, Sue Perkins, along the US-Mexico border. Uh, back to where we started, back to the tequila shop. Um, <laughs> how many tequilas, different tequilas do you estimate were in there? Because I thought, there, I, know, I know tequila's a big deal, it's a very big deal in our house on a Friday evening, I've got to tell you, tequila Tash, my, my wife is, she used to be called uh, Natasha Anaheed Elizabeth um, Evans. She's now just called Tequila Tash. I mean, that's how big it is in our house. Uh, and we thought there were probably seven or eight, maybe, you know, low double figures. How, how many did you see in that shop? Oh, hundreds. Oh, what? Hundreds. Mama, don't tell her. Whatever you do, Sue. It was, um, I, I can tell her the address. It was, it was, it was paradise. <laughs> this... I've, I've got bottles of it stashed away. I bought loads back. And, and um, did you? all the <laughs> sipping tequilas and smoky tequilas and, and uh, long drink tequilas and tequilas just for margaritas. Mm. And there's slammers and there's cheap and there's fiery and there's stuff with... But what really makes me laugh is the fact that uh, I go, well, where's the one with the worm in? And this guy just looks at me and went, no, 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 the worm's just for tourists. Yeah, don't be they silly. Don't, don't be silly, worms. Sue. Silly Sue Perkins is here from the UK, everyone. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Sue, worms out. well done. And I, I'm, I'm glad you're back to, to, to full health, I'm presuming, again, are you? Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I'm, I'm very much on the men, so all good. All, all good. Right, pal. Uh, well, you know where we are, and we're going to watch the show, and lots of love. Take care. Thanks, as always, my lovely. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. We've heard from three top draw guests already, but still there's so much more to come. Good stuff, including suave singer Jack Sabretti, the superstar discussing his online gig One Night in Portofino. Academy Award winning, yes, Academy Award winning Rachel Shenton tells us about starring in the new hit Channel 5 series of all creatures great and small. And newly published author Richard Osman chats his fantastic debut number one best-selling whodunit, The Thursday Murder Club. All of that and lots more still to come, so let's get right back to the action. Dapper Dave, who's next? Between them, they've got the world of telly by the scruff of its neck, and it's no surprise whatsoever. Their brilliant new <laughs> Sky original, I Hate Susie, is available in full on Sky Atlantic right now, and judging by the incredible reviews, nobody hates it. Please welcome the bleary-eyed brilliance of Billy Piper and Lucy Preble. Come on, girls. Thank you. Hello. 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 Good morning. Let's Hello. cut straight to the meat. Um, what happened yesterday? 
Well, for the first time in a very long time, we went out and celebrated our show. Yeah. And that was great. And it possibly went on for too long. Yeah. But we're here. We worked really, really hard on the We worked so hard. <laughs> and we and we didn't expect everyone to like it. And a lot of people then did like it, which was really nice. And we celebrated it. But then we celebrated too much. Mm. And now we feel bad. I don't think you did. I think it's perfect. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> um, so uh, it all finished about after midnight. So you finished celebrating today and now we're on the radio talking about what you were celebrating but and also you were celebrating relief weren't you because when you when you have so when you work so hard on something like that anything in life you know you can call it celebration but actually it's just a massive sigh of relief it's a isn't huge it? relief yeah that's what we're celebrating that's, <laughs> what, that's what was happening yesterday just a sigh of relief yeah. it's, a, it's a huge gaviscon moment it's just one big sigh of relief and uh, so um when did you realise that people liked your show and to what extent, to, to the extent they have done now? Because it is, it is a smash, smash hit. I think, Lucy, you would realise those things sooner than me because we have different approaches to what... Yeah, Billy has a much healthier approach to I don't avoiding know if it's healthier, it's reaction. Avoidant. <laughs> yeah, avoidance. <laughs> well, I, I think grown it's up. All, survival. All, you know... Yeah, I don't know. Self-protective, maybe, yeah. which is good. Whereas I'm like all over it immediately in a really like unhealthy, needy way. <laughs> so what happens is I tend to act as like a filter. So I'll start sending stuff through to Billy if it's good, you know, and if I think she would, she's okay with it, be okay it. with it. Yeah. So, but I'm yeah, I'm all, I'm yeah. So I know everyone who likes it and everyone who hates it. <laughs> so, so you. I say that happened day day one of release because it all came out the same. They drop everything together they now, drop yeah. Together, and so everyone's experiencing it really, really quickly, and wanting to talk about a second season, which is fantastic. But it's also like, what? It's yeah, it's amazing how quickly people have watched it. I suppose for people who don't have a clue what we're talking about, we should give a little synopsis of no context about. whatsoever. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. So it's called I Hate Susie. Yeah. Um, off you go. It's a show starring Billy Piper as a woman called Susie Pickles um, that we created together um, and I wrote all eight episodes of and it's a story of a woman who has sort of seemingly the perfect life and then in the first episode something rather awful happens to her and she basically discovers that some compromising pictures that were on her telephone, her, her mobile phone, telephone, like <laughs> from the 18th century, from her 18th century <laughs> telephone, no, on her phone have been leaked and, uh, you know, are publicly sort of available. And, you know, the show follows her through how that affects all these areas of her life, basically. And you decided to compartmentalise it via, are they um, emotions or emotions and... Um, States of trauma. Yeah, Stages of grief as well, is, okay, yeah. All right, okay. It goes through shock, denial. So episode one is shock, episode two is denial, and we go all the way through bargaining and anger all the way through to acceptance. Because bargaining is a verb and acceptance is a sort of, this sort of post-verb, isn't it? So Because it's not all about emotion. It's, it's, it's funny that you've cho chosen, uh, chosen those eight titles. Did you come up with the... the scenarios of each episode first or the titles first and they were the springboard for the episodes um okay yeah i had a few basically i had a few ideas of things i wanted to do in the show and i found that quite a few of them did fit into those emotional stages and so then i thought oh actually i'd love each of them to have a different emotional 
date or stage and then I started to write around it so it sort of happened a bit together it was a bit mm. twisty around each other okay so you are the writer but you are co-creators yeah. so tell us about that that because I witnessed a day didn't I in in Golden Square oh, yeah, in the office us, yeah. and you had all your whiteboards out and oh, you, yeah. were, you were and I thought what's going on he said oh we're doing we're, we're trying to come we're working through this thing yeah, yeah, what, yeah what stage was that that I witnessed and, and oh, that was that was that was a few years it ago it was a three or four years ago I think um which I I think it's probably about four or five years in the making after like you know as just being friends and a culmination of all those discussions late 20s early 30s and then we just got into a room together and 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 you know attacked it properly Attack what though i mean what you know what what is the first kernel of a thought who says did you say something to lucy or lucy said something to you or did you call it saying look we, we have to work together and you just stayed in the room till you came up with something or was it <laughs> something that you brought in the no, room with you lucy's quite good at, at leading that you, you, you're, you're in the room. In the room. Yeah, because I guess yeah, when you do a television show, normally you often have a bunch of writers together in a room, and you basically pitch ideas to each other and chat. Sometimes it's just chatting, and then sometimes it'll be like, "What if this happened?" And you basically try and make other people laugh. And with this show, it was Billy and I really, and we just went in a room like that and tried to make each other laugh, tried to make each other gasp, tried yeah. to make each other cry by telling things about you know what we think would be cool, what we would like to see in a show. Or was also what have we never seen and couldn't possibly imagine dramatising, even though it had, you know, some element of truth. Yeah. How are people going to receive that? Those sort of daring moments that felt quite satisfying. Yeah, we had a piece of paper that we stuck up on the wall. Like, we had lots of pieces of paper with ideas on, but one of them was entitled something like... um, things we are not allowed to say and we sort of like we're trying to basically come up with ideas with of for things where we thought listen we secretly think this but you're not really allowed to say it and that's when you start to generate the exciting stuff i think listen you two can definitely go now uh, you've been more than kind enough to stay here <laughs> in, in the eye of the storm of the hangover from heaven because it's a hangover via a celebration of you of your hit tv show the hottest show on tv in the uk right now so, so let that echo in your ears on the way home if you, you, you are still inhabiting any part of your own being. Okay, we will try. We'll do our very, very best. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Any, any news? Any, anything we need to... No, no news. No news. No news. No news. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just success. Success and succession. What more do you need, for heaven's sake? I need a paracetamol. The day after the triumph, the afternoon before... Thank you, Billy. Thank you, Lucy. Thank, thank you, Chris. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Uh, Dapper Dave, who are we talking to next? Our next guest is so good, his debut novel has already been snapped up by the great and good of Hollywood. His thrilling new whodunit, The Thursday Murder Club, is out today, on a Thursday. And he's here to talk about it on a Thursday. So please welcome, on a Thursday, the endless talent of Richard Osman. Good morning, oh. Richard! Hello, everybody. How lovely to be here. Welcome, welcome. Two big things happened yesterday. I uh, saw a picture of you um, on some social media somewhere, um, surrounded by uh, not, not so much a mountain of books, but maybe a mountain range of books, mm. and they were all yours, baby. Yeah, I know, right? What was going on there? Uh, well, that was. I'm. I'm essentially. You know, the the book was out today, and it's already number one on Amazon and all that. That's lovely. But I'm spending the whole the next couple of weeks going around independent bookshops uh, because you know these places kept going during the lockdown, and they're so amazing. Some of them. So buy. Listen, you buy it if you've got the money. You buy it wherever it's cheapest. But if you can, if you've got a few extra quid, go down to your independent bookshop on your high street, support them, go and buy a couple of things because they're incredible people. So the next few weeks, I'm just going up and down the country, just visiting 
drink loads just of just enjoying shops. that and you just sign you, there's, you can't have a queue but you, you're allowed to sign and then you can you can go buy the signed copies which is lovely well it's quite advantageous you can't have a few because sometimes uh, queue because sometimes the queue doesn't turn up which is a bit embarrassing yours wouldn't be the case <laughs> but you know I have had experience of no. friends uh, in situations like that um, oh I couldn't bear it no I would hate that but if you go into your local bookstore you know independent booksellers and some aren't by the way so, so some have been like funeral directions they look like independent mm. bookstores but they've been bought by big conglomerates but it doesn't matter because they're still an actual physical bookstore on your high street or in your village the second you walk through the door you, you change, don't you? Yeah, if you're having exactly. a stressful day, just go and go and dip your toe into the, the wonder of your local bookshop. Someone said yesterday it's like a sweet shop for adults, which is really, really true. Or a bath. It's, it's just like of... a, a bath of goat's milk. You get in there, you just feel, <laughs> you just feel the air. The, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the air is charged with different energy, isn't it? Exactly. And suddenly you feel cleverer just by looking at the front covers of books. Yeah, you do. And you, yeah. want, you want to pretend that you're friends with all the people that work there because they, they look like they really are clever. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think a lot of them actually are rather, rather, rather upsettingly. Yeah, we and... just pretend to be clever, right? But they actually are clever. No, you're pretty clever. Mm. Uh, I, 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 I win the gold medal for that one. But the, the, and also, all, often the staff that work behind the counter, they, they've, they've perfected the no-makeup, makeup look. It's all very unnatural. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, I'm, gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'm down in South London today. I'll check. I'll check the no makeup, makeup look. Your dogs can go in. Your, your dogs yeah. more than welcome. Absolutely. There's usually a couple of chairs where you can sit down and have yeah. a little read if you want. Oh, it's great. Dogs are often compulsory in those shops. Uh, right, let's get onto it. On, onto the book then. So you've always wanted to be a novelist. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I've always been a writer forever and ever. And, right. you know, then my career took various weird paths. I've produced for a long time and, and presented for a long time. And writing a book really, if you do it yourself, it takes a really, really long time. So I had a couple of years I did it completely in secret. Because the world doesn't need another TV presenter writing a book, in my opinion. Or so at least thought, talking about it, that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not saying, oh, yes, I've got a novel on, on the go. So I told nobody at all. And I just wrote it, wrote it, wrote it. And then a couple of people I trust, I really looked him in the eyes and said, look, is this, is this actually any good? Is this like an actual book that someone who isn't a TV host would write? And they said, look, it is. And then when we sold it in the UK, we also sold it in the States and in Germany and in France and in China and all around the world. So I thought... Okay, because they don't know who I am. They got no idea who I am. They were just looking at the book and looking at the story and the characters, and they loved it. So th that made me feel confident. I knew we could put it out now, and people would kind of respond to it as an actual, quite a good book. Vassos, do we think? No, I really loved it. Thank I really loved. Would you like to just set it up for people who yeah, haven't read it? It's, it's, it's set in a retirement community, and it's about um, there's four people all in their seventies. One was a former spy. One was a nurse. One was a psychiatrist. One was a trades union official. And once a week, they meet up to go over old uh, unsolved cases, like you know, cold cases. You know, usually over a glass of wine or two. Uh, and then someone is murdered on their doorstep, and the four of them have to find a way to solve the murder, to get themselves right in the centre of the police investigation. Uh, and that's the basic story. And the joy of it is having four heroes in, your, in their mid-70s is they're so overlooked by everybody, but they've got such skills and they've got such life experience and they're so mischievous, is they kind of get away with anything. Uh, and so you see the story of this, uh, you know, the police get involved, but the, our four kind of heroes uh, just, you know, the, their world kind of ma really uh, crashes into the, uh, the real world with lots of modern things going on. Uh, and you see the way that they manage to get to the heart of the investigation. I won't say if they solve it, but it would be a weird... But no spoilers. Because Vessels came in, he was so thrilled that he'd got to the end of a book this morning. Uh, he told everybody straight away, um, and then he said, 
Do you, would you like to know who did it? <laughs> no. Within five seconds, no. you said that. You said that to Ozzy Jane. Within five seconds. Mm. I did, but she but, said no. And no, of course yeah. she said no. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm about a third of the way in, and Alex is trying her. to wrestle it off me. I'm going to finish it first, but I don't want any spoilers. I think, yeah. you, I think you did tell her, and if you didn't tell her, uh, f- uh, forgive me for that, but how about this? You said something that was that was so uh, inform- informative that I could guess what happened anyway. Well, I tell you what. No, but, no, no, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say. Actually, what I should have done is stop reading 25 pages before the end and then oh, finish it off after imagine. I spoke to you. But let's well, talk. But you usually don't read 25 pages in the beginning <laughs> for the authors we have on. Well, that's a good question. Why, why, how come you were driven to read the Richard's book all the way through? Because you'd rarely do for the show. Um, so what I, I started, I started reading the book and I was so utterly charmed by it. You talk Aww. about your four heroes. So Joyce is one of them. Uh, jo- some of the book is taken in the form of Joyce's diary, mm. Joyce's new diary. Now, first of all, if Joyce is based in any way at all, Richard, on your mum, yeah. then you are a very, very lucky man. She is, she is though, isn't she? <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, a little bit, a little bit. No, so you've the, said the, in interviews that there the, are tons the, of phrase the that, gentleness uh, in the book comes from yeah. your mum, is what you've said. She's, Joyce is one of those women, she used to be a nurse, and she's my mum is one of those people, she's surrounded Surrounded by people who've done, you know, run big companies and been sort of highfalutin, who would never get anything done, just give it all that, give it a lot of talk. And my mum is someone who gets stuff done. And that's what Joyce is in the book. Everyone underestimates her. Everyone talks around her, but Joyce is the one you rely on. And that, that certainly, that's, that's definitely based on my mum. If Elizabeth was based on your mum, <laughs> then you'd be in trouble almost every day, yeah, actually, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. She is kind of terrifying. I mean, lovely, but uh, terrifying. But that's why they are such a lovely pair because he used to be a spy uh, Elizabeth and is always wants to be in, in charge and Joyce is her lovely little sidekick it's a um, really lovely relationship that oh yeah thank you it's, I, mean, they're, they're, I mean I've just been writing the second one and spending what? time with the four of them is an absolute uh, an absolute joy it's out today it's already number one it's already number one oh my god Oh, my God. It's amazing. Uh, Rich Osmond, the Thursday Murder Club, is out now. And Vassos has read it. So if you see him in the next few days, you might want to avoid him because he can't wait to tell you who did it. <laughs> Am I? Because he's rubbish at <laughs> so that. You I, I can't keep a secret. Yeah. He jumps on a punchline to a, like, a really bad, quick joke. <laughs> Let, imagine how this is making him oh feel. Oh, my God. He must be unbearable. Okay, I'll no, tell he's you always unbearable. Now. He's beyond, he's beyond <laughs> unbearable. Goodbye, everyone. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. All right, okay, big intro. Dave, off you go, my friend. Tonight, you could be snuggled up with our next guest in Italy as he sings beautiful music gently into your ears. Sort of. His exclusive socially distanced and globally live-streamed gig one night in Portofino is tonight at 8pm, and here to tell us all about it is a man that's 50% English, 50% Italian, and 100% sexy. It's Jack Savaretti. <laughs> Hello. Good morning, buddy. <laughs> he loves all that. You love that chat, don't you, Jack? I love your intros. <laughs> I feel like a, a WWF wrestler as I walk out. Yeah. Jack Sexy, Jack Sexeretti. By the way, Jack, uh, you know, um, there's always a space for you whenever you like, whenever you fancy that. However, not tonight because you're busy. Yeah, I am. We've actually made it here. It's it's, it's quite emotional. I'm not going to lie. I, it's been a very stressful two months trying to put this all together. Um, we've had many things come, come up against to come up against, but um, we're here. And I'm kind of worried that I'm just going to walk on stage tonight and just burst into tears <laughs> the minute we do this. I'm going to have yeah. to really keep it together. Yeah, that's interesting. How do you keep it together when you think you might be cracking for the right or the wrong reasons? 
Uh, it's not easy. I'm not going to lie. Like, this is the first time I've ever had these sort of emotions. Because usually, if I have those emotions, it's either because I've been away from home for too long, um, usually as if I'm thinking of my children while I'm on tour, or, or my wife. And this is different because this is more about the what the entire world has kind of been through. Um, and to be standing in front of a live audience again tonight in probably the most beautiful piazza in the world. Which also means a lot to me just from my childhood. I mean, I know every single pebble in that piazza by heart. Um, and it's going to be quite it's going to be quite something else. And, yeah, I hope that I just don't make an absolute fool out of myself. You, you so won't, though. I mean, because the bases are loaded. The bases of joy and sincerity and sentiment are so loaded. I mean, literally, I know you can't say this in life, but you can't go wrong tonight, Jack. Well, you know, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I, I totally can go wrong tonight, <laughs> and I'm sure I will because we haven't played a gig in about seven months. But that's not important tonight. That really isn't the point. Tonight is not just about the music at all. It's about the fact that so, we've had so many amazing partners um, from, the, from the, the Council of Portofino, which has been absolutely incredible for even allowing us to do this, giving us everything we need to do this safely. I mean, they're providing – I mean, it's, it's, it's quite incredible. It's quite sort of intimidating how this all has to work these days to do this it's not just you know put up a stage put up some speakers and make some noise it's it's really not that i mean it's almost as if the president is coming to town when it comes to security when it comes to protocol it's it's quite it's full on and so it should be um and but it's just been amazing to watch everybody help us do this and people are so excited to help us they're really you know so it's it's been really heartwarming i can't wait i actually can't wait so what time uh, uk time will you begin It'll be at 8.30, and I highly recommend you get dressed up for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, good, why not? And also, you know, you, you can plan your whole Savaretti, Portofino. We're going for a night out with Jack Savaretti exactly. and Portofino. Linen suits and everything. Yeah, he, he is our travel guide. He's our, literally our trip advisor. It couldn't be more exciting. <laughs> and you, you're talking about people being in the audience, so there's going to be an audience. How, how is that going to manifest? So there's 200, just over 200 guests of ours, um, which have been from ticket buyers to, to people that have really helped us actually put this event on. And then all we've made a sort of deal with all the restaurants of, the, of Portofino are doing socially distanced tables and doing it all safe. And they're going to be donating, I think, three euros from every person that comes to their restaurant to the hospital as well. So that they've all been incredible with helping. Um, and making this possible. So I honestly don't know what it's going to look like. Our guests all have to stay seated. They all have to wear masks. People in restaurants don't. Um, so it's going to be a very unique, aesthetically, visually, it's going to be something that I think is also going to be quite emotional because I don't know what people say, what do you expect from tomorrow night? And I can safely say I have no idea. Um, we've never, this is, uh, this is unknown territory for us, for, for everybody, I think. And even the people in the audience, I think it's going to be quite a strange situation, but we want to make it as relaxed. I don't want this to be some tense, you know, moment. I want this to be a joyous moment of positivity and also just to show that there are people out here trying to move things forward. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think that, that inspires everybody. It inspires me when I see other people, whether it's musicians or whatever it may be, trying to move things forward. Well, things will move forward anyway, so we might as well yeah. move forward with them, you know, or exactly. even ahead of them and show them the way, I suppose. Exactly. And, and we've learned so much from doing this. I mean, I don't know why we haven't worked more with local councils, uh, local hospitals when we've taught in the past. And I don't know why we haven't thought about sharing uh, what we are doing live through streaming to people who can't travel in the past. So this is, I think this has done this in many different fields throughout the world, many different industries. We've kind of been catapulted into the future. The technology was always there, but we weren't really that quick to use it. But now that we can, I think we're going to rethink a lot of the ways we traveled 
the amount of times we traveled. I did a press conference yesterday with 25 journalists that about a year ago would have meant three flights. Um, for, and then that's just me. They would have had to fly over, travel, and all that was totally manageable thanks to technology. So we've, we've, we're, we're learning a lot from this. But as, <laughs> as much as I want to be with you tonight actually for the gig, and I'm not going to be, I want to be with you even more for what the heck's going to happen after you've finished. Because, my goodness me, if you're going to raise a glass to life, uh, the, the Savaretti family, you know, other than childbirth and maybe your marriage, um, this, <laughs> this, this is going to be right up there with it, isn't it? This is going to be special. You know, like I said, this is a part of the world that means so much to me. Um, this particular this particular sort of gem within this amazing country, this little jewel that is Portofino, is really is probably the closest jewel to my heart when it comes to a place on, on planet Earth. Um, so this is going to be quite overwhelming for me. And, um, yeah, I'm just, and thank you, man. Thank you so much for even, like, calling me back when we spoke about this, for you guys supporting this, because everybody in the U.K. has been amazing. We, made, we raised more money for the San Martino Hospital in general from donations and from efforts in England than we did in, in Italy. And that was so overwhelming. And it's something that I've been speaking about a lot while I've been out here. So it's been, so thank you, man. No, you're very welcome. Uh, we're happy to be part of it. Dinner, <laughs> drinks, music, and Jack Savaretti. Have a fantastic time. I can't wait for it, Jack. You sound really relaxed, by the way. <laughs> Don't be fooled, my friend. <laughs> if he wasn't a singer, he could be an Academy Award winning actor. <laughs> right, goodbye. Ciao, buddy. Take it easy. Bye bye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest can do it all, right? Act and judging by her latest show, heroically wrangle a bull. The rating smashing All Creatures Great and Small is back on our screens every Tuesday at 9pm on Channel 5 and here to tell us all about life in the Dales is the Academy Award winning awesomeness of Rachel <laughs> Shenton. <laughs> Hello, Rachel. Thanks for having me. That was uh, amazing. She's actually with us. Yeah. I would have worn a suit if I'd have known you were coming in today. <laughs> when you came through the door, it's like, oh, she's here, Rachel's here. I thought you were virtual, but you're not. Th- this is you, isn't it? This is me. I'm really here. Thanks for having me. Wow, because that would be a very good hologram. They can do that. They can do that. Didn't didn't Cheryl Tweedy go on tour uh, as a hologram? Yeah, there were avatars, weren't there? there uh, avatars are different to holograms. Are they? It, yeah, an avatar is a representation of a person that isn't the person, whereas a hologram is a, a recreation of the person as a person, or whatever you want to recreate it. It, does not, it doesn't take a different form. Anyway, hi, Rachel. Hi. <laughs> the recreation of all creases, great and small, couldn't have gone better on Channel 5. I've got to be honest, as I'm sure most people, if they're honest with you, may have said to you, what, what, why would you even dream of remaking one of the greatest TV shows on telly, which, is, which still holds up right now? The reruns of all creases, great and small, hold up right now. But you did it, and you, you, you and your pals did it, and you pulled it off. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're very proud of it. And I think you're absolutely right with that. We filmed, obviously, in the Dales. We took over uh, an area... Uh, which is Grassington that became our Darby and, and everybody in the village was so lovely about the show and was so sort of supportive but it always came with a side order of don't mess us up, you've got big boots to fill so we very much felt that. So yeah, thanks. well don't mess us up or, or you know were you all drunk when you decided to do this? Are you on drugs? Are you crazy? Have you seen the original? Have you seen how it's still tight? It was always tight, it was always fluid um, but you're, I watched it last night and I thought Wow, this is incredible. It's high-end eye candy. It's high-budget, high-end, brilliantly acted, gorgeously scripted, and fantastically casted, not just humans, but vintage buses, by the way. (laughs) Amazing cinematography. And the, the guy who plays James Herrick, it's his TV debut... Oh, I know. Tell us about him. Who, yeah. is, who is this cat? Nicholas Ralph. And what what a find. I mean, he's just brilliant. He's done theatre and things like that. This is his first telly job. And you'd never know it was his first telly job. You know, I mean, he'd 
the bulk of the dialogue in most scenes, you know, his his schedule was grueling, he'd never been on set before, and he was just such a pro and lovely and easy to work with. And yeah, everybody really connected to the characters. And See, when I saw it. him, because I didn't know that until I started reading about the production, and I read about the production after I'd seen it, because I didn't want to have to, I didn't want to have, have, I didn't want to have any sort of pollution in my head about sure. about what you know the the context of how it came about. So I watch it, then I'll find out about it. And I saw him uh, arrive, you know, in the scene with the mum and dad up in Scotland when it all kicks off, and I th- I just thought, oh yeah, I like him. I I've, yeah he's yeah I remember him I like him because I just thought I'd seen him before yeah because he's yeah. got he's got he's got a signature face for telly all all he, the cinema hasn't he he has and he's just there's just an easiness about about Nick in the character his portrayal of James Harry but also just as him as a person he just sort of talked to it like Doctor Water and was like he's been doing it for years we we forgot almost instantly that it was his first telly job so yeah. He's right. a perfect James Harriet. Big question for all of you, right? Everybody that was involved in acting in this, right? Or I suppose producing it as well. Uh, do you or do you not, you know what I'm going to say now, do you or do you not watch the original before you you, you dive in? Uh, I haven't. Um, it was before my time, so I never watched it, obviously, at the time. That, that, but in that, prep for the role. That it, that it was on, but when do I found out... Do you or out, don't you? Does she or doesn't she? I didn't. When I found out I got the role, I just made the choice not to because... I think, I don't know, I didn't want it to sort of subliminally affect anything that I was doing. I knew it was really loved and stuff. And I just thought we had the books to go off, right? So our series is based on the the best-selling books um, written by Alf White. And so I just made a choice to read the books and sort of form the characters best I could, really. But I guess everybody does it differently. I'm sure some people did watch it. Now it's in the canon on the telly and out (laughs) in the open. It's been liberated. Have you given yourself uh, the treat of going back and watching the original? Not yet, no. Will will you do that? Probably at some point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it's going to get another season, at least one more season, because it's it's got the reviews by all the snooze people they're loving it they're all loving it aren't oh they? it's so lovely no it's such, it's so nice such a relief to be honest. No, well we're talking about we're talking about off the air about billy piper and lucy preble talking about um, i hate susie which is this smash smash hit on sky atlantic mm. and they were saying the same thing five star reviews of something you put your heart and soul into are at best and it's all you hope for relief Oh, it is. It's huge <laughs> relief. I mean, it's huge relief. Just for us, for the whole team, you know, there's, it was a real team effort. And I don't think any one department felt the pressure any more than the other. You've got, like, the costume designs, the set designs. Brian Percival, obviously, did Downton Abbey, was the director, who's his eye, you know, attention to detail is second to none. And everyone really cared about doing the best in every department. So it was just, like, uh, well done. And then, whew, big sigh of relief that it was well received. Um, how's your Oscar doing? <laughs> Where is he? He's doing great, thanks. Well, we've got one each, me and my husband, so they're on our bookshelves. There's like bookends. Yeah, I saw that picture again last night of you with one each. How come you got one each? Because it's the name, it's a writer, director, both of us, so it's like the named creatives on it. That's quite handy. Did you, was that something you pre, you know, pre-med? It's just kind of how it worked, really. It was just like the two named creatives. So they're bookended, are they bookends? Bookends on our our bookshelf. It's very surreal to look at them in the morning. Does everybody who comes to your house want a picture with them? Yes, they're probably quite grubby, yeah. And with both or just with one? Normally both, yeah. See, I would just want one, because then it looks like you've won it, whereas if you want two, it's obviously you borrowed them from somebody else. (laughs) Unless you want to on the same night, which people do, don't they, I suppose. All right, what, what are you up to at the moment? Um, well, I mean, I've been obviously been in lockdown, so not very much. Um, but I've done more writing, probably written more in the last few months than I have in the last year, really. So i um, been doing a bit, a bit more of that. All right, well, well done. Congratulations to all. Thank Sincere you. congratulations. We don't say that on this show unless we mean it, because we don't want to drive you towards things that you'll think, well, why did he send us over here? And uh, you'll never believe anything we say again. All Creatures Great and Small on Channel 5 is fantastic. 
Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for having me on. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest climbed Mount Everest twice in one week, so if you feel like you've not achieved enough over the bank holiday weekend, you're probably right. His mind-blowing memoir, Above the Clouds, is out on Thursday, and here to tell us all about it is a man with the lung capacity of a blue whale. It's the remarkable Killian Jornet! Good morning, Killian! Good morning! Oh, welcome, welcome to the show. Let's get straight in there. So you go and run up Mount Everest, and your plane, you get down safely in the end, um, in 26 hours, and your plane's not due to take you back home to Norway for another five days, so you think, what the heck, I'll do it again! And you did it again, and you were quicker this time, but on the way down, you got lost. What's it like getting lost in the middle of the night, on your own, on Everest? Um, well, uh... It's not that fun, actually. It's it some fun when uh, when you are down and you can explain the memory, but when you are up there, it's more like, uh, okay, I need to find a solution on that. But anyway, like you, uh, I have a positive thinking, so it's like, okay, just night. Uh, I, I will not die because it's night, so it's just night. You need to wait until the sun rises and then you realize where you are and then you find a, a good way down. But, you know, lots of people have lost their lives, you know, trying to conquer Everest, and you're on the way down. Um, is, it, is, it, is it more difficult up, or is it more difficult down, or is that, not a com- is that not a comparison that exists because it's always different anyhow? Everything is difficult because going up, it's like uh, it's every step, it's, uh, it's so, so hard. Like uh, you are fighting just to climb like uh, two, three meters. So it's when you reach the summit, you are relieved mostly because you don't need to climb higher up. But going down, it's uh, it's still a long way, and it's uh, mostly that sometimes you think that the job is done, and it's it's then when you can do mistakes because you relax more, and and that is when the problems can can arrive. So on the way down, when you got lost the second time, um, you became so disorientated. You think you you suspected that you experienced a blackout, but you weren't quite sure. And then when you thought you woke up from the blackout, you weren't sure whether the blackout was a dream or you were still unconscious and you were dreaming that you'd woken up that's how that that's how out of it you were yes exactly one one thing is that the brain it works very very slow in this altitude because we don't have many oxygen and actually i i get uh, not much energy on my on my body so uh, the brain was stopped recording uh, the the memories and and i didn't know if i was like by real up there in the in this uh in this place or if I was like just in the base camp having a dream and then yeah you you have this uh, it's always a fight with the with the brain in, in high altitude and uh, some kind of hallucinations on that and you need to be really concentrate and, and lucid to know what's real and what's uh, unreal. And so so what happened I mean how did you discover a you weren't hallucinating you were conscious and how did you then realize how high you were and where you might be and what did you do next? Well, like I, I was going down, so everything was uh, fine uh, from uh, from the summit up to 8,300, and there is where like I I started to feel very very tired, and I started to to have these uh, blackouts. And when I kind of wake up from the blackout, I realized that I was in a place that I wasn't supposed to be normally. Um, but of course, it was or it was in the middle of the night, and it was not the best weather ever. So uh, I, I kind of think, okay, I need to continue going down until I realized that that was a mistake because I didn't know at all where I was and probably I, I would like fall if I was continuing going down. So I just decided, okay, I stop here. I, I find a small platform in the, in the wall. I, I rest for uh, almost an hour 
And actually with that, my brain was start working better again. And I realized that I was just out of the way in the middle of the North Face and, and try to find a way to go back to the normal road and back to the base camp and take the plane home. And you talk in your book, uh, it's a, by the way, it's a brilliant book. It's so poetic. It's gorgeous. It's so profound as well. There's so many lessons for life in there. But you talk about, uh, about you know, when you've been on these ultra runs and you've been, you know, 160 miles in a day, uh, you've fallen asleep while running. So, you know, you people talk about falling asleep at the wheel. You've fallen asleep whilst running and kept on running. What's that like? So you, you say it's exactly the same that when you fall asleep in the wheel, like uh, you are just closing the eyes and actually it's it's a bit less dangerous because if you are running <laughs> normally the speed it's uh, it can be up to ten, like uh, 10 miles an hour so if you fall that happens you, you don't hurt yourself that much so actually that's less dangerous than uh, than falling asleep in the wheel but yeah it's it's yeah it's the, the long distance it's it's a fun thing because you you push your body to these limits like the the sleep deprivation and like the energy of the body. So you are really trying to push all that. And it's these funny situations when you, I, I remember one time I was running in, in the US in, um, uh, in Nevada. And actually uh, it was after 40 hours, I think. And we saw um, a grizzly in the side of the trail. And I didn't care. Like it was okay. It's a grizzly. He can eat me. I, I'm too tired to think about it. <laughs> so actually you, you put your body up to this level. Oh my God, um, Killian! It's a joy to talk to you. Before you go, um, Vassas is going to have a chat to you um, because he he asked you a question once. He's interviewed you loads of times before, Vassas Alexander. He's written his own books about running and things like that. But he asked you a great question about your last run. So before he asks you that, actually, you run every day. You have to run every day. When will you run today? And where will you run? And who will you run with? Actually, yesterday I did a, a very big training. So today it's kind of an easy day. So I will go cycling like for two hours, and then in the evening I will just go for a one one short uh, run so two easy two easy trainings what's a short run in Killian Jornet's life uh, no it's really short like it's one hour like uh, <laughs> 10 kilometers <laughs> really so just just a three hour training day today right Vasos hit him with yeah. the, the big beautiful question uh, Killian you've run all over the world of course you have uh, if you had one more run before you die where would it be oh, I, I hate that question like uh, I, uh, everywhere, I, I always think that the best place to to go, the best mountain to climb, it's, is the one is tomorrow. Like, uh, I don't care where I am. Like, it's just beautiful mountains all around. So I just look in the window and whatever it is, it offers possibilities. So it's just that. It's uh, everywhere to find the beauty. So the next run is your favorite run, yeah? Exactly, always. All right, Killian. Great to talk to you. Have a lovely day. You too. Stay safe. Above the Clouds, Killian Jornet, um, a fantastic book. If you read that book and know the book uh, this year, then you'll be all right. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. 
So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.